Uh, I'm going to do like a little short mini Christmas series and introduce some of the uh, characters in the story. And uh, so everyone online, I hope you'll, you'll join us for this uh, little mini series that we're going to do. And um, I just wanted to, I wanted to just add a little, a, a sort of a little caveat to one of the things I was talking about. I hope you get this. Um, never do anything that's not from your heart. You know? So if I'm asking you to give and it's not in your heart, then just don't. You know what I mean? Don't, don't get pressured or twisted or anything. Don't. Because then you have a bad taste in your mouth. And, but if your heart tells you, you know, then that's when you do it. And, and so what I want to talk about is the heart. And um, I wanna, uh, what I want to do is go through a couple of scriptures to help you look at this and, and then follow along with me as we go into this uh, Christmas story. But I want to start from a, a, a little proverb from the Old Testament. It comes from some of the, the wisdom sections of scripture. It's Proverbs 4.23, and it says this, um, Above all else, guard your heart. Let's say it together. Above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. All right? Uh, Earlier they translated it. um, It it is the wellspring of life. So the wellspring of life is the thing that everything that we do and say sort of bubbles from. It springs from there. So if you want to make anything better in life, the greatest way to make something better for the long term is to go to the source. If you want to make your home better, if you want to make a country better, if you want to make your job better, if you want your children to be better, if you want uh, anything better in life, you go to the source and if you can... uh, if you can do some sort of surgery at the source, then where, where it all flows from can be altered. And this is the wisdom uh, of those teachings, which says the best thing to do is to start at the heart. Now listen very carefully. This is important. A lot of times, many people have been exposed to religion. And let, if I can, and let me just you know, permit, give me a little permission here. It kind of doesn't matter what name you put in front of that religion, even Christian religion. Give give me a minute. If it starts on the outside, which way too many of them do, and work on trying to force you to not do certain things because of a threat or or some sort of circumstance, um, that has limited ability to bring real change. Just it's it's similar to being a parent, right? Um, if you're if you're wanting your child to grow and you're wanting them to adapt and you're wanting them to become a certain type of person, um, the best thing is is if they had the heart to be loving to their sibling and it, they just did it. Right, but how many of you know you've had to resort to uh, go to your room? I have time. 
You've had to resort to go to your room. You've had to, I mean, I was just with my niece and nephew, so trust me, I know what I'm talking about. I mean, we were on our way to the airport, and we got in the, in the car, and the, the meltdown was starting in the house, you know what I mean? And my mom didn't have time, so she's grandma, but she's like mom to them. I mean, she's just, she's, you, you ever been there? I don't have time. I don't even have time. I'm not going to talk about it. I'm not even going to hear the counter-argument, uh, you know what I mean? I, I'm, you just get in the car, right? And I, wait for me there. Anybody done this one before? The problem was no one was there, right? And so the two of them were there, and it started to escalate, and I'm bringing my bags out, and I, I'm, I don't know how involved to get, and I'm thinking, I don't know. Ah, just let it go, right? And, and has anyone ever been there? How involved do you get? And I said, no, let it go. But I should have got involved, because next thing I know, there was a beach chair getting thrown at one, from one to the other, and... <clears throat> This never happens in your house, I know. And by the time my mom got out there, she's just in drill sergeant mode. You pick up your shoe, which had gotten thrown, and it's halfway down the street, and you do this, and you sit over here, and anybody ever done this? You go into command and control mode, right? And, and sure, that is part of it. And this is what's so, so important. If you've really read, slow down when you've read the scriptures. It's sort of a tug of war, between are we going to do that, command and control, it's going to get us some short-term results. I'm not faulting anyone, especially not my mom or anyone that's done that. It's something that you do. And it's something that was done in the scriptures. But Jesus opted for a different type of transformation, a different way of changing people, a slower more subversive, but once it's connected, a way more powerful way of changing people. And that is, you start not on the outside, you start with the what? Heart. This is so important. That's why Jesus was always with these people that didn't have it going on the outside. Remember? He was always, remember, remember, do you read any, always he was with the people that weren't doing it right on the outside, right? Prostitutes and tax collectors and, you know, Bernie Madoffs and all these people. He was with all these people. And like, oh, no, no, you're not. He didn't do that. He's like, no, you don't understand my program. So what they would do is they would ostracize people. Religion would ostracize people. Still does that aren't performing all the external things. And so you're out and we don't associate with you. And Jesus goes, no, you've just learned how to do a couple of good things on the outside, but the inside's still the same. So he would, his program was, I'm going to try to work from the inside out. And Jesus tapped into this old wisdom What you start to learn is all these faiths around the world, they kind of go towards, I don't know what the right word to use is. You could use the word legalism or fundamentalism or I'm not sure. I don't like categories that much. But it's the kind of stuff where you worry about the outside and harnessing people. And what Jesus did... As he said, no, this is, a, this is a transformation that is from the inside out. So he could see through, he could see past all that external stuff that wasn't in compliance 
with the religion of its day. And he was going for a transformation that was completely different. But here's the thing. Think about this. If you really change here, everything else is easy. If you really change here, everything else is easy. If politicians really change here, everything... No. Right? If pastors really change here, a point of my, everything else is easy. If you really change, really, not if you start going to church. This is why Jesus would always have it in with the religious people of his day because they got really good at their religion. They didn't have churches. They had synagogues in, the, in his day, and his culture. But the point is they were good at that, but they weren't good at this. And here's the kick. Listen. It's actually easier to protect yourself from being changed if you go to church. It's easier to protect yourself from actually being changed because you can check it off on your fridge. Church. You give yourself an attaboy, right? Tell your neighbors, you show them your notes you took at church, you know. You put a fish on your car. You're good. You don't have to change here. Now, do you see why it's subtle? Do you see why Jesus was colliding with these people? Because it was easy for them to just do the check mark and then to feel superior. And Jesus always brought things back to the heart. They were big into converting. You know, we're going to convert this guy. We're going to make him this. And, we're going to... and you hear the same things today. We're going to make them our thing. Right? We're going to make them Baptist. We're going to make them Catholic. We're going to make them... And Jesus said, you know, you travel the world making converts. But when you make them, they're twice the... This is quote. I'm quoting him, if I may. Twice the son of hell that you are. What is he saying? Does it matter what label they... And does it matter what bumper sticker they end up with? Or does it matter that this actually changes? Everything drives from here. He was tapping into this ancient wisdom. Now watch. Luke says, and the different gospel writers record Jesus saying this in different ways. So it was probably a big part of his message. Uh, But if you find in Luke, like 645, it says this. A good man brings good things out of the good Stored up, stored up in his, one, two, three, his, what? In his heart. An evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his, what? What's the key? It's, it's, in another place he says, out of the abundance or the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Anybody ever get yourself in trouble with this little guy? Huh? Now, this is tough news for all of us, right? I already got my hand up. And by the way, this is just another version of this. All right, don't, don't flatter yourself. I didn't say anything. Right? This, this, this is an overflow of what? 
overflow. So it's sort of like when it gets bumped. Anybody ever get bumped? I was on an airplane the other day. It's like, why do we have to bump? I'm always like, why do we have to bump? Let's all just wait. No, we like to bump. I gotta get my bag. But when you get bumped, then it shows how carnal my heart still is. Anybody else? Right. <clears throat> and because I'm a pastor, I have to bite my tongue. I can't say. You can say. I can't. This guy three rows back. I go to your church. Right? So I just have to bite my tongue. But it's there anyway. In other words, what, when you get bumped, the overflow of what? This. All change, all real transformation always begins here. So Christ, as the Savior of the world, has a plan, if you will. He's going to renovate the human heart. And as the heart is renovated, then it's going to spill out into people's character. It's going to spill out into their actions. It's going to spill out into our words. It's going to spill out. I mean, think about what words do. Words lead, words lead to, study your history, words lead to world wars. Words. Millions of people die because of things that people say. In other words, you have to keep, tra- if you want to bring real change, you've got to keep tracing it back. And the genius of Jesus and what he did is he traced it back to the heart. And the only way that we're really going to see everlasting change is if we change the heart. The Christmas story starts and is set up in Matthew's gospel about this very same theme. Um, Matthew 2, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of who? King Herod. All right, King Herod. King Herod's not like a cartoon character that Matthew invented to tell his story. King Herod, if you study history, was a real dude. He was a guy. He's a powerful man. He sets it up right there during King Herod, and Herod's going to play a role right away in Matthew's telling of this story. If you know a lot about it, you know he's kind of the anti-Jesus in this story. The way Matthew sets it up, this is the guy. He's the other one. He's that guy. If you have a movie, right, he's the bad guy. If I can, for just a minute, let me tell you a couple stories about Herod. Because when people read this back in the day, they said, oh, at the time of Herod, and they knew these stories. Maybe some of us don't know them quite as much. Herod was, um, you know, kind of born into it. So you'd think of a, of a ruler that had a dad who was a political appointee. So Rome sort of ruled everything. Herod's dad was put in charge. And, uh, and then his dad was assassinated. 
these kind of things happen a lot. His dad was assassinated. Um, his dad had given him a little territory called Galilee. So he ruled in Galilee. That's where Jesus grew up and where his ministry was centered. But once his dad was assassinated, they were having all kinds of problems in Rome because, you know, uh, Caesar crossed the Rubicon. They're having all kinds of problems, and there's civil war and fighting. So he just decides, I'll just show up at my dad's office since they killed him. That's what he did. They'll get around to appointing me officially, and he set himself up. Now, the thing is, once uh, Herod set himself up, he was never really acknowledged by Rome because they were sort of busy with other things. And as they were battling, you know, Herod kind of had a decision to make. If some of you know your history that well, there was a battle with Octavian and Antony and they were fighting against all the Romans, other uh, Roman Senate, and they were going back and forth. And Herod has to pick a horse to bet on for this big battle. It's for the superiority of Rome. Uh, he waits till the battle's over, and then when Octavian wins, he goes, "You know, Octavian, I'm for you." Octavian appreciates it and grants Herod the title, right, uh, the king of the Jews. The Senate is on board, and he gets this title, the king of the Jews. Now, this is 40 years before Jesus shows up, okay? So 40 years before Jesus, here's a guy who's had his dad assassinated. He's learning to grease the political skids. Anybody know what I'm talking about here? He's working his way. He ends up in this place of power, and he ends up with this title, the king of the Jews. That's his title. This is history. Um, a lot of other stuff happens. He gets run out of town by someone else. He goes to Mark Antony and gets some more help. He comes back in and conquers Jerusalem again. And so it's very unstable. And so he decides to try to win the Jewish people over because he's not, but he's their king. He decides to marry a, a Jewish uh, princess, Hasmonean, a princess. Her name was Miriam. And he marries her, and his poll numbers start to go up. Not that it mattered because they didn't vote, but his poll numbers went a little bit higher. Because now he's married to some Jewish royalty, and he, what's he trying to do? He's wanting to be partners with Rome because he wants the power, he wants the position, but he wants his position to be easy because he doesn't want the people that he's ruling to hate him and fight him the whole time. So he wants to, he wants to keep both, and so he decides he, it's a political marriage. But he actually sort of liked her. Um, you know, his first wife, he just had her run out of town. Her name was Doris. <laughs> True. And then uh, he takes and he appoints Miriam's brother, right, as the high priest. So the high priest goes back to, you know, Old Testament times when they were all descendants of Aaron, but it was all political by this point. It was appointed. And so Herod appoints the high priest. And, you know, things were going pretty good, and people actually started to like this guy, Aristobulus. 
Um, sadly, for Aristobulus, they started to like him too much, and Herod got a little nervous. You know how these things go. There was a pool party. It was late at night. You know how these things go. He's done. No one knows what happened at the pool party, but he drowned. Um, Miriam, you got to remember, that's, his br- that's her brother. And uh, there, there you have, there's Herod. Now he's starting to fight some other revolts, and there's, he's, he's always got his head on a swivel, and uh, as it turns out, he gets a little nervous about Miriam him, herself and ha- has to have her executed as well. And in, according to one historian, he liked her, so this was hard for him. So when you read in the Gospels, oh, this was during the time of King Herod. You go, oh, yeah, that's some guy. And yeah, you, you know, yeah, you, but when you, when you know what people read when they first read this Gospel, like, oh, that was a guy with a very corroded what? Hurt. And over time, life had just corroded him from the inside. And this was a message about the revolution of the human heart. And if you know the story, you know where the story is going. Because out of the abundance of the heart, life is lived. But what is really key is to understand what Matthew was trying to teach us was something way better than just the facts and figures around Jesus' death. He was trying to say, look... When you have people that are like Herods in your life, and you will, right? You don't let their heart seep into yours. The thing that's that's incredible about the story of Jesus is whenever this was around him, he didn't let it get in him. I think one of our greatest challenges is to not let... Whatever, whatever negativity, whatever evil, whatever hurt, whatever wrongdoing, whatever is there, get into here. Above all else, we started with, guard your heart. When people want to do evil to you, I mean, right away, you could have saw bitterness. You could have saw hatred. You could have saw, but right away, you're starting to see Jesus from the start to the finish is not going to let it get in him. Or as Paul would write about later, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I get a little nervous sometimes because I think our modern-day tactics are veering away from Jesus. I think they're veering away from Jesus, and I think we're starting to buy into, we got to fight evil with evil. Yes, it's simpler. Yes, it's cleaner. And hey, sometimes, let's be honest, it's necessary. 
But this is veering away from the wisdom tradition of Jesus who said, look, above all, guard your heart. Now I hear people say things about people that they don't agree with. And what's coming out of their mouth says to me, I'm not sure the heart has been transformed there. We've sort of gotten okay with it doesn't matter if I perceive them as the other, then it doesn't matter what my words or my action or my heart is. Let me ask it in a more personal way. Can I go back to the back seat of my brother's Yukon for a minute? With the crumpled goldfish down in the carpet? And two hotly tempered young ones in the back seats? At what side, at what point does any parent or grandparent or uncle ever go, you are wrong, you're on the wrong side, and we are all against you? It's uncomfortable for us, isn't it? What we do, what we do is we realize he's cranky, she didn't get her nap, he's hungry, don't we? we? We can see that it's not all black and white, good and evil. We can see that. And we would never just take one child and throw him in the yard. Although you've wanted to. <laughs> you can always see the redeeming qualities. You can always see the goodness of heart. You can always see that they're having a bad... But see, this is the problem. We don't see ourselves as family. We don't see our world as family. This is what Jesus taught us. This is what Paul reinforced. He said, we all are brothers and sisters under the one same God. And if we saw ourselves that way, we would give each other the break that we give these two young ones, as we should. Now, before I close, here's what I'd like to do. I don't want us to focus on Herod You know, he's the Grinch of the Christmas story. His heart's way too small. I want to focus, as one writer put it, the line between good and evil doesn't run between nation borders, right? The heart, the the line between good and evil runs right through our own heart. It's so much easier if we just put all the evil over there, isn't it? It's those guys. It's so easy. There's nothing here. In other words, the story of Herod is not a look at what are the... But it's a story. It's a look at ourself. It's a look at this. Am I going to go the path of Herod? Or am I going to go the path of Jesus? Herod's was a path. It just kept going and escalating and escalating. And as you know, it's going to escalate more in the story. And so if we follow the wrong path, when you know that you're on it, it just escalates. But if you follow the path of Christ, 
That's what lays before us. So today, let's have a prayer, a commitment for protection from corrosion of our hearts and, and following the path of Jesus, the transformation of our heart. Wouldn't it be wonderful? And eventually they get there. Not perfectly, but they get there. When your kids just do it from the heart. Some of you are like, could you tell me when that is? Because I'm taking no, no. No, they get there. And that's what our development's all. That's what our spiritual growth, that's what it's all about. Where now, I'm not forced to. I don't have to do anything. We have forced and have to and ought to and hell and all, you know, all the threats and all these other things that get thrown at you. You've missed it completely. That's like the immature stuff, right? That's what kids want to know. How much trouble am I going to get into if I do or don't do that? That's immature. But you're growing in your faith. And so these things aren't what matters. What matters is, is my, what's my heart taking me to? And for some, we need to spend some time with God and let him just heal and renew our hearts. Some of you need to take a walk. Hmm? It's been nice out lately. You just need to take a walk. You just need to let God and his presence and his peace settle over you. So you don't have to do the, the grabbing and the conniving and the head swiveling of Herod. That God's going to pave the way for you. That God's going to take care of you. That God in his own ways is going to protect you and open doors. He, he's going to take care of you. And you put your hands, you put your life into the hands of of a loving Heavenly Father. 